But just that really threatening part. Hang up your stockings and say your prayers. Santa Claus come tonight. Here comes Santa Claus. Sorry, I keep looking behind me because I'm really scared my hair is going to catch on fire with the candle behind me. Welcome back to another episode of Is Fitz Happy? I'm Luke. And I'm Emma. Today we're discussing chapter 11 of Royal Assassin, Lone Wolves. Oh. <laughs> Beginning part of this chapter talks about the fool, and it's from the, I think it's back to the perspective of like almost a history, or at least um, maybe like a myths of Buckkeep during this time period or something like that, you know, because mm. it's not necessarily fact that's in here, and it's, it's not necessarily fits like speaking to himself or thinking but it could be a diary entry too i guess this feels like uh an angry diary entry where you're (laughs) trying to be mean and say mean things about somebody that you like because you're upset with them which i say because he brings up who knows if he even knew the future which i feel like at this point he probably is pretty sure um, but if this is from Fitz's point of view when he is in the cabin, he's probably pretty upset at his friend for leaving him and That's true. abandoning him. And there's probably some resentment. I don't think it's like fully like teenage mopiness written I mean, in a diary. He but... did tell the fool to like leave, though, and like go, basically. Yeah. But I think he's like sad at losing a friend. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. well, yeah, when you're a little mad and you kind of wish like maybe he wishes there's more pushback. I don't know. It just felt a little bit like there were a couple lines about how like the fool's manipulative. And um, so who really knows if he could even see the future, if he was just getting us to do what he wanted because he's so quick witted. And it feels a little bit like when you're kind of mad at a friend. The, the only thing that really, like, stops me from thinking this is a, a diary entry or something is the last line where he says he swayed many of us to help him shape the future. And I think this would be more, like, addressed to people who would read this entry into, like, the myths of Buckkeep during this time period or something like that. Like, right. a something that he was putting down to write, but maybe it got too personal, so he scrapped it. But in general, like, the whole attitude towards it, it was like... We're writing about the fool because he was an important plot point of this time period in uh, Buckkeep's history, you know? Yeah, I so don't it didn't know. feel like it was set out to be personal. It just kind of I like, don't ever think it's evolved into writing from a history to a <laughs> to <laughs> a more know. personal thing. I don't think mentioning an uh, a general us makes it less of a diary entry in my point of view, just because you can say that about your group of friends. You don't need to go into detail and name yeah, I suppose. that you've already talked about prior. But that could be <laughs> for any case, any type of writing, really, if you yeah, already talked about definitely. these people. But I don't know. We'll never know. <laughs> <laughs> so it just kind of explains that, like, yeah, he's he's very mysterious. His origin, age, sex, and race have all been the subject of conjecture. Most amazing is how such a public person maintains such an aura of privacy. And that the questions about the fool will always outnumber the answers. I'm just questioning that 
could he actually see the future? Was it just his quick wits? That sort of thing. Right. So, as we get into the chapter here, it begins in media rest with with Night Eyes, who he doesn't quite know yet, and Fitz hunting. Yes. Uh, they are trekking out of Buckkeep towards a, an abandoned hut that is only used during the summer. Mm-hmm. And Fitz is taking this time um, to teach Night Eyes more about hunting and how to approach hunting. And they're after a little rabbit right here. And Fitz sees it before Night Eyes does, but Night Eyes can smell it. And telling him to like wait for the perfect opportunity to pounce instead of chasing after things. And Yeah, so... Night Eyes, the cub, is very excited to find game and just flounders after it and then is upset because Fitz didn't help and didn't come after him. And Fitz says, I can't run down game in loose snow. I must stalk and spring only when one spring is sufficient. Ah, enlightenment, consideration. There are two of us. We should hunt as a pair. And... So it is little lessons being gifted from Fitz to Night Eyes. And it also brings into this interesting territory of Fitz accidentally opening himself up to be asked to be part of the group, <laughs> even though he wants to stay away from um, helping Night Eyes. He's trying to put distance between them. Um, so he, you know, he's like, I, I can't help you. I'm not a wolf. We're not pack. You need to do it yourself. <laughs> yeah. And Nine Eyes points out a wolf does not hunt alone. Mm-hmm. Well, a wolf is not meant to hunt alone. And Fitz is like, well, you know, perhaps not, but many do. So, mm-hmm. you know, you need to be able can. to do it. <laughs> I won't always be around to hold your hand like a parent <laughs> figure or something. <laughs> Fitz is uh, thinking about where he's bringing him that uh, abandoned hut that is only used in the summer for like the goat herds and things like that. And that it's a pretty nice place to be um, trying to convince himself that what his task is when he made the promise at the end of the last chapter mm-hmm. uh, to get rid of night eyes basically, or to snap the growing bond between them. So he doesn't get found out using the wit. Right. Um, this is the, a good place to leave him. <laughs> yes. Um, and on the way there, it talks a little bit about how, he finds out how Night Eyes has been getting in and out of the cup, the keep walls. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a small section near cattle herd. Uh, uh, or like an old cat- cattle gate. Yeah. Yes, a cattle gate where there's cracks in the stone that Night Eyes has wiggled through. And based off the snow, it looks like he does it pretty often. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's kind of funny. So we get to see, we get to learn the answer to the question that we're all probably super we really want to know and we've really been thinking about that for the past four chapters (laughs) um but we still get the answers and cub is super excited because he's hanging out with fitz and they're in the wild they're hunting and he doesn't have to be cooped up in his old hut now he gets to go to a new one and (laughs) venture around outside and He's playing tag with Fitz a little bit. And Fitz is happy to let him play tag. It's fun to play. Um, And I think that's more of just a defense mechanism of like, I don't want to do this thing, so I'm just going to enjoy the fun thing and not think about the hard part coming up. But when they arrive at the hut, you know, 
uh, Night Eyes asks, why are we here? What's going on? And Fitz says, we're here to hunt. And <laughs> it's kind of a cute little back and forth between the two where Night Eyes says a little quip of, oh, this is worthy hunting this, sniffing about some man den for scraps, disdainful. Not scraps, go look. He surged forward and then angled toward the hut. I watched him go. Our dream hunts together had taught him much, but now I wished him to hunt entirely independently of me. I did not doubt that he could do it. I chided myself that demanding this proof was just one more procrastination. So Fitz is just trying to prove to himself that Night Eyes is going to be okay if yeah. he leaves. Um, and Night Eyes is successful in the hunt, but I did want to point out that this is kind of how his paternal figures have raised him is, you know, yeah, being very close with him, being very like teaching him every step of the way. And then one day just kind of abandoning him on his own and saying, OK, prove it to me that you can do it. And then like, I know you can, but I need you to prove it in a low stakes way. With you pointing that out right there, that. This really reminds me now of uh, Chade's mission for Fitz um, in, oh, where was he? Is it Ripplekeep? Where he goes along, he has to take care of Lady Time, and he's doing his first mission of spying mm-hmm. and, and um, seeing whether he needs to kill somebody or not. And he uh-huh. convinces um, the lady to give up her jewels to, you know, fund things. Uh-huh. And... Chade was there the whole time, and then they go off on, like, a huge adventure to find forged ones. Yes. Uh, this yeah. this chapter really kind of mirrors that, because he's like, hey, yeah, you're going off on this mission, go hunt, and he's just kind of, like, watching him, just in case something goes wrong, and then right. later. <laughs> and there's a childlike joy we get from Night Eyes of, oh, look at me do this thing I've been training, I'm so big and bad, and <laughs> I'm really good at this thing, I'm basically a professional mouse assassin. <laughs> And really, mice are not as easy as bigger game, which we learn later. Um, but yeah, I did. I did think this was a big parallel to how Fitz has been treated, kind of his whole life, um, specifically with Chade. Um, but it was just something that caught me this time around. Of whoa, he's treating like this is really like a fatherly moment for him as much as a teenager can have a fatherly (laughs) moment. But, um, I don't know. I just found it really interesting. The parallels. So, uh, cub finds mice there Mm -hmm. and Fitz knew from rumors that they would probably be there. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, night ice has his fun hunting and eating and Fitz goes inside and goes inside and makes a fire and eats a little bit or whatever. Mm -hmm. And they have a conversation and Fitz says, um, you know, I know there's lots of mice. I hesitated, then forced myself to add, you won't starve here. He lifted his nose abruptly from the corner he'd been sniffing. He advanced a few steps toward me then stopped, standing stiff-legged. His eyes met mine and held. The wilds were in their darkness. You are abandoning me here. And it's like that that body language and everything struck me the second time or second time I was rereading this chapter, I guess, um, today, mm-hmm. because it's like such shock 
yeah described in an animal that it, i don't know it just really evoked really good imagery for me mm-hmm. in that um they have a conversation here of fitz betraying pack and uh fitz you know <laughs> reinstating that no we're not pack so i can't right. betray what we weren't right you know? and then trying to let him know that he's setting him free or what fitz thinks his version of free is yep and Night Eyes is like, no, I was meant to be a member of the pack. Mm-hmm. No, are are there wolves nearby? Did you make sure there's wolves nearby that will accept an outsider into their pack? Mm-hmm. No? Well, you know, what do you expect me to do? You're just giving me up here for isolation, not freedom. Yeah. And that was the most interesting takeaway from Night Eyes' perspective to me. You know, Night Eyes asks, why am I here? Like, what is this for if not to join another pack? And Fitz's response is food, freedom, your own life, independent of mine. And then Nine Eyes' response is isolation. And I think food, freedom, your own life, independent of others is what Fitz dreams of. It's what he thinks he wants and Night Eyes points out how lonely that is. And maybe for someone like Fitz, who hasn't had the easiest time making connections in his life, it doesn't come as the first thing, you know, he doesn't think, oh, no, I'll be super lonely because he's used to being lonely. But I right. think that is the downside of Fitz continuously trying to put himself in isolation because he thinks that's what he needs, that this type of freedom is the end all be all but i think ultimately it's not and we see the first glimmer here of why it can't be good for him i guess i don't know yeah definitely and he continues on um i mean lecturing fits on what he's trying to do and saying that you're truly not pack you you're a man you know you think that uh to bond or not to bond is for you alone to decide. My heart is my own. I give it where I will. And basically, like, men try to rule others' lives without having a bond with them. You can't do that to me. If you are letting me free, I have the freedom to choose where I want to go and who I want to be packed with and stuff like that. And yeah. Fitz tries to forbid him to follow to Buckkeep. And Night Eyes, of course, is affronted by that. Like, no, you're letting me go. I can follow. And then... Fitz yells at him verbally and repels him. Yeah. It's a... It's a pretty... Pretty sad meeting here because Mm -hmm. uh, you get a full depth of feeling from the wolf cub of what he actually wants and he has, you know, dedicated to fits like what he is actually dedicated to him right and he points out that it's not just fitz's decision mm-hmm. and that there's like some autonomy which granted we know that both of them are too young to be making this choice it's not healthy that they're bonding so young but and as much autonomy as they can have the night eyes is asserting that this is my choice i chose to give my heart to you and you don't get to tell me i'm not allowed to he also like in that in the same thing he kind of has the little uh the little toddler argument of like <laughs> oh you know my heart is my own you're not 
you don't want it, then I didn't give it to you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's kind of cute. <laughs> but yeah, it's. I also really like. So this whole part of the chapter is really artfully done in my mind. Um, I think there's just a lot of imagery and a lot of things you can pull from it from previous chapters and just experiences you can tie in. And one of the things that I like the most about this is when Fitz repels Night Eyes, um, not because I find enjoyment in the pain that both of them are going through, um, but there's just this really beautiful way that Robin Hobb describes this as this is something I've always known how to do and I've refused to use because I had it done to me by Burek. Like I only use this in times of necessity when I cannot do anything else. Mm-hmm. And it kind of just shows the desperation that Fitz doesn't know what he's doing. And his last act is to lash out. Yeah. And just the talking of how going through Fitz's point of view of how, hard it is for Fitz to do this but also how he really truly believes this is what has to be done this is what I've been taught this is so evil and wrong that I have to like physically hurt myself and some someone that I love and because this is wrong and it's really sad and heartbreaking but just so beautiful I don't know yeah I really for that reason enjoy reading it (laughs) So Fitz is successful in getting Night Eyes to leave. He continues to repel him a few times until he takes off. It's really sad. (laughs) Night Eyes is obviously very hurt. He's very stricken by Fitz Mm -hmm. actually hurting him. Yeah, probably the same way that Fitz is hurt after this as well. Right. And... Fitz says, I held myself within myself, refusing to follow him with my mind and make sure that he did not stop. No, I was done with that. The repelling was a breaking of that bond, not only a withdrawing of myself from him, but a pushing back of every tie he had to me. Severed. And better to let them remain that way. And then he likens it to a missing limb, like an amputated limb, a physical uh, groping about for a part gone forever. He still has that instinct to, you know, go check on Night Eye, see how he's Mm -hmm. doing, check on the wolf cub, I guess. Uh, But he is refusing himself that, which if this was the correct decision, then yes, that would be good for him to do. Right. Right. And I wonder how much this is actually a complete severing, just with what happens a little bit going forward. Um, Because Night Eyes does show back up. Obviously, we know they do end up bonding. But I wonder if Fitz hadn't been attacked, if this would, they just would have never bonded. That's what I'm thinking too, and I think that's true. They would never have done it. They, this is a separating and a parting of the ways, right? In every sense of the word, and only that physical danger brought Night Eyes back. I'm sure Night Eyes was kind of like nearby, pacing along or whatever. Right. Yeah, uh, but 
Fitz, in his mind, convinced himself that this was done, and Night Eyes, for most of the time, was convinced, like, yeah, eventually he'll come around. But this might have been kind of like a tipping point of, right? okay, maybe we're actually done, and then they would have both both forgotten it. Kind of like him and Nosy. Yeah. So if they did meet again later on, there could have been a little kinship there, but it wouldn't have been good, because they would have had that bad blood in between them, so... (laughs) I don't know. I just thought it was really interesting how final this sounds. So close to when we know that it's about to be unfinalized. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But I don't know. It's just a very interesting... Because it is so deep and the pain seems so real. Mm -hmm. Like he really is missing part of himself. Which is different than how we've heard it described when he's lost a wit partner before maybe because night eyes isn't dead there wasn't that full connection so maybe this was similar to what burek was feeling when um vixen died yeah like a losing of a limb mm-hmm. um it does say that uh it doesn't hurt physically uh but that that is the only comparison that he has as raw and flayed as if stripped of skin and meat it was worse than when burek had taken nosy for i had done it to myself the waning afternoon seemed chillier than the dark of dawn had. The waning afternoon seemed chillier than the dark of dawn had. I tried to tell myself that I did not feel ashamed, that I had done what was necessary. And he adds in, as with Virago, in there. Mm-hmm. Which he is also ashamed of, and he doesn't like being an assassin or carrying out the king's justice or anything kind of like that. And he's mm-hmm. trying to liken it to a job that he had to do right just try to disassociate himself with it because he disassoci- disassociates himself with all of the king's justice jobs that he's done yeah so he's just trying to distance himself emotionally yeah and it's really telling that he doesn't want to do this but this is something he feels like he has to do yeah. like the job with virago i think if he didn't have Burek raising him, telling him how horrible beast magic is, I don't think he would have felt the need to do this. Maybe if he had somebody who, like if Burek was more into the old ways and knew the rules or was willing to teach the rules to Fitz, it would have gone a little bit better. And, you know, he would have, been able to stay away from this situation to begin with right but i think it's just really hard when you can tell that this is not something that he personally believes that he should be doing this is something Mm -hmm. that has been tasked to him in a way yeah he goes over again that there is a insistent temptation to quest out about himself to see if fitz could sense night eyes at all still Uh, but he's resistant to that and sealing his thoughts against his as firmly as I could. Gone. He would not follow me, not after I had repelled him like that, no. I tramped on and refused to look back. Had I not been so deep in thought, so intent on remaining isolated inside myself, I might have had some warning, but I doubt it. The wit has never... The wit was never any use against forged ones. I do not know if they stalked me or if I blundered right past their hiding place. 
and he gets beset upon by forged ones. Yeah. Quickly surrounded by three of them. He gets his knife out, but he didn't expect any danger, so he didn't bring right. a sword. And one of the forged ones has a knife as well, and then the other two have big sticks. Yep. Um, so they are armed, and, you know, he's really worried. But I think he tries to stave off the worry. Um, he's watching them kind of spread out and surround him and asking what they want. He takes off mm -hmm. his cloak, he throws off his mittens, and one of them looks at the cloak but doesn't go after it, and all of them continue to circle around. And, and they want meat. Yes, which confuses Fitz because he doesn't have food on him, mm -hmm. and they have to And one of clarify. them says, you, puffs another in a parody of laughter, mirthless, heartless, meat. Uh... And then Fitz kind of freezes on that because that's horrifying to think about right. and pauses for too long and one of them pounces on his back and they have a fight and Fitz is in a fight for his life. Yeah. He flung his arms around me, pinning one of my arms. And then suddenly, horribly, his teeth sank into my flesh where my neck met my shoulders. Meat. Me. Yeah, he kind of flies into a berserker rage and right. is just struggling. Yeah, it says, I left flesh in the mouth of that first attacker, but tear myself free I did. That I recall. The rest is not so clear. He is trying to stay alive. He mm -hmm. is fighting with all of his might. He says he has a little bit of advantage because these three men are wearied by just whether who knows how long they've been out here how starving they are like he has more life to him mm -hmm. so he has more to fight with and they're burdened with cold limbs and extremities so that they're clumsy and can't find him as easily um but he's still not doing so hot because yeah. it's still three on one he manages to knife one in the ribs but his knife breaks off He's dislocating another one's thumb who's trying to gouge his eyes out, and he ends up in a struggle with one throttling him, basically. He's losing, he's losing breath in him. He's becoming purple, as we see later from Night Eyes' vision. Right, and I do want to point out that there's a little section here where it says, um, while one was throttling me, the other tried to jerk the sword free from its entanglement in my flesh and sleeve. I noticed that too. And I think that's, they said it was a knife earlier and uh -huh. then a sword here. So I think it's another misprint. Right. I just want to point out that we found one. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> they have been so rare, I guess too, in the past couple chapters, but yeah. <laughs> in books in general, they happen pretty rarely. So right. it's fun to, it's fun to see. find them when we can. Mm -hmm. Um, but anyway, so he's lying. And then we hear brother. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, the world was brother. growing black and the sky was beginning to spin. And then brother, <laughs> he came slashing teeth and weight, hitting our tangled struggle like a battering ram. We all went down in the snow then, and the impact loosened the forged one's grip enough that I could whistle, that I caught a whistle of air into my lungs. My head cleared, and suddenly I had heart to fight again, to ignore pain and damage, to fight. I swear I saw myself, face purpled from strangling, the rich blood streaming and soaking and the smell so maddening. I bared my teeth. 
Then Cub bore the one down and away from me. Uh, so pretty clearly he's he kind of flees into Night Eyes' head there for a bit to recover from being strangled Mm -hmm. and then gets back to his body. Right. And with them fighting and being so close, there's a weird entanglement of senses. Mm -hmm. And it is a little bit like before um, a few chapters back when Fitz didn't realize he was acting like a wolf. Right. He thought he just was a wolf. He thought he was maybe with night eyes, but really he had been the one in his body doing these wolf-like things. Mm -hmm. Um, And we see that here when he says, I know that I knew when Cub's jaws closed in on his throat. I felt that death rattle in my own jaws and the swift spurting of blood that drenched my muzzle and flowed out over my jowls. I shook my head, my teeth tearing flesh, setting all the life loose to run free down his stinking garments. And then it was a time of nothing. And then it says, a little bit later, I lifted my sleeve to my mouth and chin. I wiped away blood. It was not mine. Mm-hmm. And so it's this... Cub and him both went for the throat on their yeah. each individual ones. It, it's They do a, count, a body count later and... The one that Fitz had stabbed with a knife eventually did die from the knife wounds. It took mm-hmm. him a long time, but he did die. And the other two had their throats ripped out. Mm-hmm. Oof. Yeah. It's not not good. Not um, great. I knelt suddenly forward in the snow to spit out beard hairs and then to vomit, but not even the acid taste of bile could cleanse the dead man's flesh and blood from my mouth. I glanced at his body, looked away. His throat was torn out. I shut my eyes. I sat very still. Cold nose against my cheek. I opened my eyes. He sat beside me, regarding me. Cub. Night eyes, he corrected me. My mother named me Night Eyes. I was the last of my litter to get my eyes open. He congratulates Fitz a little bit on uh, doing well with his cow's teeth. Yes. Which is kind of cute, even in this horrible scene of carnage. And Fitz notices that Night Eyes is hurt. Yeah. And Night Eyes responds, so are you. He pulled the blade out of you and put it in me. Fitz says to him, let me look at it. Why? The question hung between us in the cold air. Night was about to find us. Overhead, the tree branches had gone black against the evening sky. I did not need the light to see him. I did not even need to see him. Do you need to see your ear to know it is part of you? As useless to deny that part of my flesh was mine as to deny night eyes. We are brothers. We are pack, I conceded. Are we? I felt a reaching, a groping, a tugging for my attention. I let myself recall that I had felt this before and denied it. Now I did not. And they reach to each other. Fitz hesitates slightly. But he feels Night Eyes' hurt that he would hesitate. So I paused no longer, but reached out to him as he had to me. Trust is not trust until it is complete. So close were we, I do not know which of us offered this thought. 
And they have the double awareness of Night Eyes' senses layering over Fitz's own. Mm-hmm. And probably the same for Night Eyes. And probably the same for Night Eyes. A little bit different. Mm-hmm. But they're bonded. They mutually reached to each other. Gave trust completely. Mm-hmm. It's really interesting, this descriptor of what it's like to become bonded. We don't get to see this before and his past relationships with animals. Right. Maybe that's because he was too young to fully understand the little switch of senses, mm-hmm. or it was more gradual because there was no like decision. hesitation. Yeah. yeah, he just did it freely. Um, but we really get to see this change of, ah, uh, there's two senses and it's weird, and I don't understand, too. My senses are his, his senses are mine. We are one. Mm-hmm. So they decide to go home before they clean up all their uh, their wounds because they need to get warm first and they don't want to freeze to death. Mm-hmm. And they're giving each other strength on the way back. And Night Eyes gives a little bit of humor. <laughs> uh, you were wrong, he observed. Neither of us hunts very well alone. Sly amusement. Unless you thought you were doing well before I came along. A wolf is not meant to hunt alone, I told him. I tried for dignity. He lolled his tongue at me. Don't fear, little brother. I'll be here. (laughs) And it's just really cute. And it's interesting how the dynamics have now changed. Before, Fitz was kind of the leader. Fitz taught Night Eyes everything and was in charge and was making rules. And now Night Eyes is the older brother. (laughs) Yeah, right. (laughs) (laughs) Who will teach him. And it's just really cute. And it's a... It's nice to see Night Eyes trying to cheer Fitz up. Mm-hmm, yeah. Um, I don't know. I just think it it says a lot about, number one, Night Eyes' personality in general. Um, but it shows how close they are and how I'm sure Night Eyes knows that Fitz is really struggling with this kill. And it's very human to use humor Right. To step away from the reality that is yeah. so hard. I don't know. I just really like it. Mm-hmm. And we come to the next day where uh, Fitz presents himself to Verity. Well, he goes to find Verity. Yes. He's bandaged up now. Um, his wound in his neck was missing flesh, so it was hard to bandage, and it was still painful, and he, he got it to close, and it was, wasn't was really stopping bleeding, and we see that scar later on in his mm-hmm. life, too. He mentions the skin pulling against that as well. Yeah. And he is looking for Verity. Goes to his serving man, Cherim, and Cherim says that he's not in his chambers, and he's in his tower. And Cherim seems worried about it, mm-hmm. which... I wonder how much he knows about what the skill does to people. I mean, he has eyes. So, <laughs> so. I mean, yeah, he's a serving man. He served him all throughout last summer when he had to be there 24 seven and right. probably seeing Verity return there probably at least every other day. <laughs> yeah. If not more, if not more, seeing uh, it, it become an addiction. Yeah. yeah. Which would be even weirder because as far as we know, Jerem doesn't really know the intricacies of what being skilled is. Like, right. 
why no one really understands it right why he's being called back to the tower time and time again um so it would be a little scary to like see someone that you serve and love (laughs) struggle with an addiction Mm -hmm. yeah i just and fitz fitz thinks about that as well Uh, he's saying that verity has no reason to be in the tower he doesn't have a reason to skill except for the terrible attraction of the skill itself mm-hmm. and he thinks back to uh what galen had said about the addiction and everything like that and and thinks about his training and how he failed to have a fully developed skill ability and uh, at the end of that he has to take a deep breath breathe it out slowly and refuse to let the blackness of spirit settle on me he still gets those little black spirit like urges and things from thinking on that time period in his life. Right. And I also think it's really interesting that he's thinking about how Galen said, you know, only weak idiots right. can't can't withhold themselves from the pleasure of the skill. And then not really bringing that to what does that make Verity? kind of skirting around that entirely just oh i was horrible and weak but not equating that to verity which also is a bunch of baloney because it's not anything to do with his strength or weakness it's right. literally just overuse of something mm-hmm. and it just becomes harder and harder i don't think i don't know i don't think having a strict diet of barely any food (laughs) and wearing uncomfortable clothing would have saved Verity from this. No. Yeah. Um, But I, I did wonder because Galen talks so strongly and we are reminded about how Galen goes so far into, you must remind or keep yourself uncomfortable to have will of steel so that you don't give in to the comforts, which is such an interesting take. And I was just wondering, do you think, someone could take the opposite route of becoming so enamored with their own life and so happy and cultivating a life that is very pleasant to live that it keeps you from like taken into this or do you think i don't think either of those will work i think they might help a little bit but they with as much at least as it relates to verity with as much skill as he's using it's not going to work i mean Robin Hobb set out to create this story with the idea of what if magic was addicting. Yeah. She said that before. That was like her starting point. So I think it's really fair to relate it to addictive drugs mm-hmm. in a sense. So, you know, if you're using heroin, <laughs> you're not going to be like, oh, I have a really nice life. I just won't give in to using heroin maybe every other week or something. <laughs> That's not going to happen. It's just too addictive. It's too luring. It's too... It it gives you too much of a different feeling. And Mm -hmm. Fitz tries to describe that different feeling, that it's not pleasure necessarily. It's just a sustained feeling of everything is coming together perfectly in in whatever moment that is. But Mm -hmm. instead of, you know, a sudden flight of bright pheasant in an autumn wood or the pleasure of taking a horse perfectly over a difficult jump... It's that instant elongated as long as you can hold the skill. Yeah. So it's just, I don't think a pleasant or a perfect life Would, can even yeah. compare to that. That's fair. Do you think it would make it harder, though? I mean, 
I don't know how to phrase this question. I'm just, do you think that like a pleasant life would be just as successful as a unpleasant life that Galen promotes? Or, Maybe. I, I mean, I'm sure that's as successful similar. as anything can be. Yeah. I'm sure that's similar to the other training methods that are related in the scrolls. Mm-hmm. Cause his Mindfulness was, and- yeah, his was the only, um, his was the way of like, you need to train them fast in a wartime, whatever, yeah. which is the correct way to do it with what they had and the time right. that they needed. But I don't think his is the only or proper way to do it. Right. So there's probably other methods that the skill masters have developed to, like you said, like either meditate or mindfulness or, you know, just being aware of your limits kind of right. thing. Which also... Also, coteries to, you know, keep each other in check. Right. That's true. It would be easier having a group to hold you mm-hmm. back. But also, I was just thinking... Fitz did really good. Like he hadn't even felt the pleasure that was the skill while using it. Do you think everyone before they, you know, feel that goodness? I don't like. He has felt it. Well, he has. But but I'm saying when he was training originally before he was broken by Galen, he described it as like he had a steel wall and he didn't, it was like he didn't feel he didn't know what it was that he was blocking off against. He just knew that it w- felt good. And then when he finally did feel it because Galen broke his defenses, mm. it was so good. And he couldn't imagine that he had been without it. But that like before he had known what that was, I wonder how he was able to will him if that's sustainable in any way. Yeah. You know, I don't know. Not sure. So after calming himself, thinking about all this and being scared for Verity, he lets himself in quietly to the room because that's his habit when he was taking care of Verity during last summer. Mm-hmm. And Verity is sitting there skilling out. And Fitz remarks that he should not have been skilling, but he was. Mm-hmm. And he calls attention to him. Yes, Prince Verity? He turned to me, and his gaze was like heat. Like light, like wind in my face. He skilled into me with such force that I felt driven out of myself, his mind possessing mine so completely that there was no room left to be myself in it. For a moment I was drowning in Verity, and then he was gone, withdrawing so rapidly that I was left stumbling and gasping like a fish deserted by a high wave. In a step he was beside me, catching my elbow and steadying me on my feet. And it's... It's really interesting, like, how quickly just a little thing, Verity is just so instinctive, brings his skill into every little thing yeah. that grabs his attention. And I thought that was a very interesting uh, description of somebody just focusing all their skill on you. Mm-hmm. Because it doesn't seem like he went through all of his memories or anything right, like that. Right. It's just, I don't know. He was him for a moment. Yeah. And they talk about what Faraday was seeing, and Fitz is like, oh, so you're not skilling to look for out-islanders, kind of fishing a little bit, I think hoping that Verity was actually finding out-islanders, so he had a reason to be skilling. Right. And uh, Verity's like, no, I know they're not out there. I, that's not what I'm looking for. So uh, Fitz goes into his description of Forged Ones then, and describes the attack, and... Verity isn't super surprised. 
really because he's uh he's been gathering reports on more forged ones converging on Bucky. Mm-hmm. Fitz is curious why they haven't, you know, undergone another hunting, another killing of them. Mm-hmm. What? Why are you letting them gather and right. flock over here? I almost died. Like, what's going on? <laughs> why didn't you even let me know? <laughs> and Verity is uh, of the strategic mind here, and he's of the thought of, like, if this is continually happening, and I'm seeing a pattern of a bunch of Forged Ones coming, I want to see if somebody is directing them. I want to see what the move is. Why are they coming? What's happening? What's the plan? So then I can figure out what my enemy is doing. And Fitz is of the mind still of Forged Ones can't have a plan. Right. They can't be directed. They can't communicate. They can't do anything. Which, to be fair, is kind of true. They're both kind of right. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, they know so little about this, so how right. would they possibly be able to figure it out? But I do think this in this conversation, as it goes on, about what could potentially be the motive and what's going on with these forged ones is really interesting and kind of shows a little bit of Verity's paranoia and probably what it's like to be king in waiting when your father's health is declining and your brother is actively trying to kill you. I can see that. Yeah. Not that he doesn't have reason to be worried because he does, but Going forward, you know, Fitz is trying to understand what could possibly be the strategy. Mm-hmm. And Verity is saying that he thinks that they're after him. I guess I'm kind of skipping ahead a lot here, so <laughs> I'll take a step back. But I don't personally, I don't think it's just born out of paranoia. It could be a part of it. But also, these are things the forged ones are people that are left behind by their enemy in this war right now and they're doing damage to the countryside so i i mean i think it's logical to think that instead of just dropping them off even though that does a lot of damage what if they actually had a plan for these forged ones what if somebody was directing them as another front to the war rather than just the coasts yeah and that is a proper reasoning in war but with like the comments like you mentioned that he does make later, paranoia could be a fuel to some of this as well. Right. And maybe it's a little bit of guilt that his people are dying in this way. Oh, 100%. Yeah, because he's connected to all of them. He right. skills out pretty much every day. <laughs> yeah. So. But I just yeah. think it's so interesting, which to be fair, he is right. They are after him specifically. Um, but he doesn't know that. And the reason mm-hmm. they're after him is because they feel, feel his skill power calling them it has nothing to do with him personally and fits too right also fits but it's like they're coming towards the skill but it's just very interesting that they can't find a pattern these people aren't working together mm-hmm. they're just coming and sometimes grouping together as they come towards the capital and he's like they're for me it's me they're after <laughs> me and not just sieging the capital why wouldn't they just be after the capital why wouldn't they be attacking the stronghold to take over for the red you know what i mean like there is some truth behind it but he doesn't know that and without knowing that like your skill is drawing them in why would you immediately go to just me and not the kingdom as a whole like the capital i don't know that's my thought well anyways uh before we get to that part um (laughs) fitz is reporting fully on this attack and he kind of leaves out night eyes in all in all cases here 
And Verity is uh, pretty much telling Fitz, you gotta take better care of yourself, man. You get hurt in every single fight you're in. <laughs> like, just... Uh... <laughs> oh, you're a competent swordsman, but you've not the brawn and the weight to be a brawler. At least not yet. And that's what you always seem to revert to in a fight. <laughs> <laughs> Fitz is a little uh, peeved about that. I was not offered the selection of weapons, I said, a bit testily, and then added... My prince. <laughs> <laughs> no, you won't be. He seemed to speak as if from afar. Yeah, he's skilling out again here. And Verity kind of agrees. He's like, I, I guess you're right. We can probably send you out and you'll have to kill some more forged ones and go hunting again. Because if they're getting this close, like, that is a danger again. But, you know, at least Ketrikin will be safe because she has a guard now, right, Fitz? <laughs> <laughs> and Fitz is like, uh oh. <laughs> As you have been told, sir. <laughs> but not by me, as even though I promised. <laughs> mm-hmm. And we find an interesting little tidbit out. Um, Verity says, The rumor I heard was that you had authorized the creation of such a guard. Not to steal your glory, but when such rumor reached me, I let it be supposed that I had requested it of you. As I suppose I did. Very indirectly. <laughs> And who do you think is spreading the rumor that Fitz ordered a guard? Oh, I think it's just, you know, misinformation of like, oh, we asked Fitz to, you know, bring this up to Verity so we're approved or whatever turns into Fitz is making the guard happen into Fitz ordered a guard to happen. Yeah, that's fair. Kind of just passing from mouth to mouth. I was just wondering if you thought it might have a little bit of regal to do with it. I don't think so at all, actually. Mm. I think it's just... You know, a natural progression of gossip. That's fair. He probably wouldn't want Fitz to be associated with the ruler. Yeah. So. And also, it's a good thing that Verity did take uh, charge of that and claim mm-hmm. of that because um, yeah, he would have been seen as Weak. ignoring his duty. <laughs> and while also, Fitz took like, care of it. wouldn't be good for Fitz either. Right. Which, as hard as Verity is on himself, he had enough wherewithal to fix the situation when it came to him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He didn't need time to think on what to do, it seems. It seems that he was able to immediately be like, oh, yes, the way I told him to do. He's a better ruler than he gives himself credit for, True. but he's also inadequate in the times that they're in. Right. Like, he's in that middle ground. Like He's really good at doing things without thinking, but mm-hmm. if you give him any time to think about it, he's just going to be like, ooh, chivalry would have been better at this, I don't mm-hmm. know. <laughs> Unless it's a secret task that he's finding patterns for. Right, right. <laughs> But that leads the conversation more towards Ketrikin a little bit, and he is, um, I think, feeling a little bit down still about the whole situation. Right. He says, what I could think of something to busy her, he added wearily. Fitz brings up the Queen's Garden, recalling Patience's account of it, and Verity goes into a little description about how it used to be Mm -hmm. with Queen Constance. And there's there's one thing in here that I kind of want to get your thoughts on, because I don't think I brought it up to you. Maybe I did originally, like way back when we first started discussing these books. Yeah. But uh, my mother kept a little hunting cat, and it would lounge on the warm stone when it, the sun struck it. Hispit, that was her name. Spotted coat and tufted ears. And later on in this, uh, this page, is, um, I knew every kind of time she had. My mother grew a lot of time, and catmint. Some people on the internet have posited that Queen Constance was witted. 
and that his pit was her companion. I don't know that you've talked with me about this before. I'm gonna say no. We might have, but um, but I also underlined this section because I was wondering if maybe she was witted. Maybe he gets it from his dad, not his mom. Could be, but we, I mean, this that is total conjecture, but we do see evidence of the wit in the mountain line. Yes. And she was outside of the Farseer line, even though there's a history of old blood being in the Farseer line itself. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of hard to right. hard to say. Also, this is a, a place where it seems that, you know, people have pets, especially nobility. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, Patience has dogs. I don't think she's witted. No. Um, but I don't know. I I feel like it would not be out of the question to say that she had something and i say this because in a little bit (laughs) i keep jumping ahead (laughs) in a little bit verity seems to kind of know that fitz is witted yeah kind of hints at it or something just like doesn't do anything about it and i wonder if that would be because he knew he knew his mom Maybe his brother yeah. was witted. Maybe he's witted in some way. Not as strong, maybe, as Fitz. But, you know. Yeah. Maybe hard to tell. his Bond companion is his good hunting pup. Leon. Leon. <laughs> I don't know. But yeah, I do. I think it's plausible just because we know at least one person <laughs> has the wit in this family. And it seems pretty genetic, so... So uh, Fitz is like, yeah, Ketrakin would love that that garden. And uh, she gardened the mountains. And Verity says, did she? He looks surprised. I would have thought her occupied with more physical pastimes. I felt an instant of annoyance with him. No, of something more than annoyance. How could it be that I knew more of his wife than he did? She kept gardens, I said quietly, of many herbs and knew all of the uses of those that grew therein. I have told you of them myself. Yes, I suppose you have, he sighed. You are right, Fitz. Visit her for me and tell her of the Queen's Garden. It is winter now, and there is probably little she can do with it. But come spring, it would be a wondrous thing to see it restored. Perhaps you yourself, my prince, I ventured, but he shook his head. I haven't the time, but I trust it to you. And now downstairs, to the maps, I have things I wish to discuss with you. So, a couple things in here. One, Verity still doesn't want to talk to Ketrikin at all. Mm-hmm. Um, he feels threatened by her. Not necessarily because she's going to take his crown or anything, but just threatened with her ability to lead. Right. And probably his self-worth just diminishes greatly in her presence, thinking about what she has accomplished with the very small things and... He's probably still of the uh, of the thought that women can't do as much or like in his view, he wants a queen that is there for him to comfort and prop up what he is doing rather than be a partnership. Right. Well, something we talked about a little bit last episode Mm -hmm. is that noble ladies specifically don't do a whole lot, it seems. At least with the past queen, Queen Desire. Right. Like starting with her. Starting with her, it has brought in this court of women who do more ladylike things and aren't getting their hands dirty as often. Mm-hmm. 
And because he probably grew up with that, it's just ingrained in life. That's yeah. just women. Exactly. A queen. <laughs> also, his comment on, I would have thought her occupied with more dot 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 physical pastimes. Is Ketrickin built? Is she like muscled out? I really believe so. I think so too. She's a smith. Like, mm-hmm. she's a silversmith, right? Right. And she also is used to walking in harsh winters and yep. doing physical labor. Right. For she's her kingdom. buff. She's so cool. <laughs> she's got those big buff arms. She carries a sword around. She killed her own forge ones. True. Like She's cool. She fought four of them and won. Which, interestingly enough, we would never get a descriptor from Fitz of, because no, why would yeah. he even care if Ketrickin had muscly arms or not? But... But she's attractive, according to him, so... Yeah. I don't <laughs> know. Because she's competent, and Fitz is attracted to competent women. That's true. And, I don't know, I like to think of her as, like, really big buff and cool. <laughs> like, I don't know, I just think that's so cool. And, I don't know. Not that you have to be a buff lady to be super amazing or do wonderful things, but... Yeah. I like the idea that she's... Just a little under the level that Verity is at his peak. And so he's a little <laughs> jealous because <laughs> that would be he's really been funny. skipping arm day lately. <laughs> um, yeah, but it, it does bring to mind, like, if that is the case. And it's not excusable, really, because he's judging based on looks. But right. um, his type versus what Ketrickin is is really exaggerated then. Yeah. Like the differences between those and... The people thinking she looks like a pale fish from the inner duchies when they yes. walk through from yeah. the mountain kingdom and things like th- comments like that make a little bit more sense if she is that drastically different than the women in the six duchies. Right. If she is a little bit more built. Well, we also know that Verity loves the petite, yeah. plump ladies. <laughs> yes. And Ketchikan is also pretty tall. Yeah. So. She's so cool. She's basically a barbarian. (laughs) Just raging out. (laughs) I want to work on the ships. (laughs) She'd be so good on the ships. Okay. I'm sorry. (laughs) But as they turn to leave, Verity kind of stops in the threshold, looks over his shoulder, and and admits to Fitz that skill calls to me. It calls to me at any moment when I am not busied. And so I must be busy, Fitz, and too busy. I see, I said slowly, not at all sure that I did. No, you don't. Verity spoke with a great certainty. It is like a great loneliness, boy. I can reach out and touch others, some quite easily. But no one ever reaches back. When chivalry was alive, I still miss him, boy. Sometimes I am so lonely for him. It is like being the only one of something in the world. Like the very last wolf, hunting alone. And that would be terrifying and terrifyingly lonely. Yeah. You can touch everybody else in the world mm-hmm. of your whole kingdom, but no one ever talks to you. Like, ever. You can see the intricate day-to-day details of their life. You can tell the thoughts that they're having about those details. You can even listen in on conversations. But nobody sees you. And it does go to show the incredible bond that the two brothers had, Verity and Chivalry. Yeah. They were the only ones who could reliably skill to one another and probably hung out with one another all the time. Yeah. 
Verity was saying, like, hey, can I go on campaign now? I've been missing my bro. We've been talking about the skill, but, like, <laughs> he wants me out there, too, and you know it. Like, he's probably been talking to you, too, Shrewd. <laughs> do you think... Do you think that Verity's intricate maps are all skill scene? He's seen that many roads, those, those side sections that would be lost to anyone mm-hmm. else because he cares so deeply about the land that he is ruler of i think a couple chapters ago we had a a scene with fitz and verity um and fitz kind of agrees with that like Mm -hmm. this is this is why the maps are so important to him this is what he sees this is you know yeah this is what it is i'm sure he's traveled almost all of the inches of the six duchies but yeah i'm sure he visits in the in the skill and looks down and like can get details and that's what made him love maps in the in the first place probably just capturing that yeah Hmm. but i do want to quick backpedal when he says i need to be busy fits too busy what do you think he is trying to say that he knows he's taxing himself, but he needs to be doing something active with his mind and his hands in order to not just skill out and fall into the... Because, I mean, it's the same It's the same kind of addiction that we see later with Fitz right. in the cabin. Like, he just wants to go sit on the bench, overlook mm-hmm. the cliffs, and skill out. And Night Eyes is like, don't do this. Like, every <laughs> single time he does, yeah. but he can't help himself. So he writes down things and then burns them later. He goes, does chores. and Right. But there's only so much that a lone man in the cabin in the middle of nowhere can do <laughs> compared to a prince who is in running a war. war. Yeah. Yeah. So Interesting. I feel like Faraday waking up in the middle of the night, going early to the ships, going, you know, all these yeah. places isn't just an effort to get away from Ketrikan. It's probably an added benefit for Verity because <laughs> he doesn't want to speak on any like topic like that. Right. But it's just he feels he has to. Otherwise, he does wake up in the middle of the night, climb the tower and then go skill. Yeah. It's just that calling. Interesting. I was wondering if this was him trying to explain why he's so absent, why he doesn't know mm. his wife's favorite thing and why he has so little knowledge of her, even though Fitz told him before i can see that that, like i'm keeping myself too busy even when it comes to my relationships why you haven't seen me it's why my wife doesn't see me i can see him saying that like as an apology to fitz i mean not necessarily he would never say that to ketrickin no like no but he he cares of what fitz thinks of him Mm -hmm. so i can see i can definitely see that so that's where i was coming at it from of like i'm doing this to stay here and even though it's hurting relationships it's literally the only thing keeping me here (laughs) which is hard so they head down well they briefly first of all they briefly talk about king shrewd and verity lets him in on the secret that fitz found out at the end of uh book one but Mm -hmm. that shrewd skills seldom now because it taxes his mind as well as his body since he's getting older that's not working out and so his skill strength dwindles and it has been dwindling because he hasn't been skilling out, and it's just disuse or misuse, and it's just or not doing anything. Is it dwindling because somebody's feeding off of it? <laughs> Remember, we don't know when that starts. True. And I do just want to 
say out loud a thought that I had recently. There's no way to know if Galen hasn't already been doing this for years. True. Yeah. He could have been doing this for a really long time. And that could be why he doesn't scale very much anymore. That could be Mm -hmm. how they got away with killing chivalry. Yeah. If the dad can't skill see. And that's why Galen could have been more powerful than Verity thought he was. Mm -hmm. So. I don't know. Just a thought I had recently of. I know even during the wedding, we see that he is weak and cannot necessarily listen to Fitz. But we don't know when Galen started leeching. Yeah. We do know Galen started the process, though. So I don't know. Thoughts, things to think on. (laughs) So as they're heading down, uh, they're talking about Fitz's injuries. And Fitz is like, no, 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 I I bound my injuries myself. No one has seen them. Not Beric even. No Verity. (laughs) And he talks about why he can't uh, go to Beric. Mm -hmm. Um, There are little nip bite marks on his arm from Night Eyes that Beric would immediately recognize. Mm -hmm. And he can't save himself without giving up his wolf cub Verity mm-hmm. sighed well keep it clean i suppose you know as well as any how to keep an injury clean next time you go out remember this and go prepared always there may not always be one to step in and aid you i came to a slow stop on the stairs verity continued down i took a deep breath verity i asked quietly how much do you know about this. Less than you do, he said jovially, but more than you think I do. You sound like the fool, I said bitterly. Yes, sometimes. He is another one who has a great understanding of aloneness and what it can drive a man to do. And then he uh, shifts topics. He took a breath, and almost, I thought he might say, he knew what I was and did not condemn me for it. Instead, he continued. Mm-hmm. It's just so interesting that Fitz thinks that his uncle might know. And maybe his uncle does know, based off this little conversation. He specifically said a lone wolf. Well, I think the lone wolf was just a... Turn of phrase, what's popular. Turn of phrase, yes. yeah. Um, but I think it's he knows about the same as Chade knows. Like, he suspects of, like, something weird is going on. But I think with the skill, he might know a little bit more of, like, someone helped him. He's keeping him a secret. Doesn't want anyone to know. Specifically the Beastmaster. He might be witted. But I don't know as much as Fitz, so I'm just going to let it go. Let him do his thing. Right. Because he trusts Fitz. Well, yeah. But I, I do find it interesting that potentially... Verity thinks that his nephew is witted and doesn't seem to have a negative reaction. Mm -hmm. And it's really sad that Fitz is like, maybe he'll accept me as who I am. Mm -hmm. And he doesn't get that. And so I wish if he did know, he could have just said, right. Well, whoever your four legged friend is, is good by me because he saved you or something (laughs) like, I don't know. So they continue down, they get to Verity's map room, and they eat some food. And Fitz is remarking on how he likes seeing Verity like this, just taking the simple pleasure in this good meal, and is lamenting what he has to see next summer. How much do you think 
of Verity enjoying this meal is an act for Fitz's sake? I don't know. It's hard. It's hard to even guess about because I guess it it could be, but I think he he really does like eating because he's not using the skill as much as he did in the summers where it right. drives all hungers out. And Fitz genuinely thinks he is enjoying the meal right now and is is attacking it and everything like that. So I don't know if it's much of a show. Okay. I just wondered when I read this part how much of this was like, "Mm, I'll eat a lot in front of Fitz so he doesn't worry too much. (laughs) He seems a little worried. (laughs) If he was in Fitz's mind that much and was like understanding his reactions, I think he would have made a comment on Fitz thinking about how he was last summer and how thin he was mm. and how worn to the bone and yeah that's fair he probably he usually be. makes comments about what Fitz is thinking if he's like in there you know there okay but they are, are going over uh the maps of the forged ones and Fitz is like yeah, there was no longer mistaking um that the forged ones were coming in a pattern that yeah. that it was happening Regardless of what obstacles, forest or river or frozen plains, the forged ones were moving towards Buckkeep. And Verity's, with all this evidence, uh, asks Fitz, you have difficulty seeing it as a coordinated plan still? I fail to see how they could have, a- have any plan at all. How could they have they contacted each other? And it doesn't seem a, con- a concerted effort. They aren't meeting up and traveling here in bands. It simply seems that each and every one sets out this way, and some of them fall in together. Like moths drawn to a candle flame. Or flies to a carrion, I added sourly. The ones to fascination, the others to feed, Verdi mused. I wished I knew which it is that draws the forged ones to me. Perhaps another thing entirely. Why do you think that you must know why they come? Do you think you are their target? I do not know, but if I find out, I may understand my enemy. I do not think it a chance that all the forged ones make their way to Buckkeep. I think they move against me, Fitz, perhaps not of their own will, but it's still a move against me. I need to understand why. And that's the part that you were talking about before, his paranoia showing through. That it's me that they're moving against mm-hmm. this i don't know for sure but most likely it's me this is about me and i think mainly this stuck out to me because verity doesn't seem a very self-centered person he's not a very yeah me centric guy and i mean as much as he can be whenever he's constantly comparing himself to his brother which is a type of self-centerism but this isn't the same this isn't look at my downfalls as a king bringing Mm -hmm. them here this is they're coming after me and i don't know maybe it's fueled maybe it's fueled by guilt i came into this thinking that it was a little bit of paranoia coming through because of all the court intrigue but talking more i do feel like it could also be guilt of leaving the people behind yeah i mean either way he's right (laughs) Uh, but he doesn't know that. He doesn't know that, but they, there's nothing they are to right. point that he is correct. No, right. In the no, data that saying, they have. Um, yeah. Either way, whatever he however he got to that conclusion, he's right, but he wants to understand them. Um and Fitz 
uh, makes a weird cryptic comment, and I don't know why, but he says, To understand them, you must become them. Oh? Jerry looked less than amused. Now who sounds like the fool? <laughs> I don't know why... Do you know why Fitz would make that comment at all? Well, that's something kind of that the fool has been telling him, right? A little bit. And, and Chade, that you can't... You can't use your own logic to discern what enemies do. True. Because yeah. they measure the bushel by different <laughs> weed. I don't know. <laughs> it's turned from wheat to weed now. <laughs> I can't ever remember the phrase, and I'm so sorry. <laughs> but, you know, I just think he's been told over and over again that, like, you don't you can never know what's going on in somebody else's head right because they have different ideals than you especially if it's an enemy Mm -hmm. um and so he's just kind of regurgitating that even though i don't think he himself truly understands the sentiment when it involves anybody else (laughs) or anything else um but i think especially with forged ones where there's so little known about how they have become this way or what it's like to be forged because Fitz knows that they're not even fully human. Yeah. There's just something wrong with them that I don't know, maybe that like little nugget of wisdom came forward. The conversation shifts to the fool then and Fitz kind of brings up the two topics that the fool had brought to him, the elderlings and the missing skill users that should be alive and around. And Verity uh, is like, well, those are very worthy topics for long quests by lots of people, but there is not enough to find for even one person for each of those. Uh, And he kind of goes over that training was done very privately, and even those in a coterie might know a few outside of their own circle. Still, there should have been records. Which, uh, that line right there, I had forgotten about that even the Coteries didn't really know the yeah. other Coteries that well at all. They operated their own little circle, and that was about it. Mm-hmm. Well, that's all they needed. Yeah, that's all they needed, but it's, uh, it, it really does lend more credence to the fact that these people could disappear and no one else would know. Yeah. So it's very interesting. Yeah, it's an interesting way to operate a court system <laughs> right? for like your lines of defense. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, he goes on that there should have been records and these scrolls should have probably been passed down from Cilicia to Galen. But when we searched his room after he died, there was nothing there. So they had already been sold to the pale woman. Right. But do you think they were sold or just being kept in regal's room i think they i think they got rid of the evidence already regal wouldn't have had any use for them at all that's true so after galen knew what was in the scrolls they would have been fine just like selling them for information or for help or whatever yeah whatever the price was i don't quite remember i don't either interesting probably like right here at this time to make verity look stupid and right (laughs) so uh yeah and they kind of reflect quietly for a brief period of not wanting to talk about how Galen died. (laughs) And we get a little recap in this book of what happened in last book. And Fitz then asks, trying to keep all emotion from his voice, 
Do you think Regal would know where such records are? If he does, he has said nothing of it. Verity's voice was as flat as my own, putting an end to that topic. But I've had some small success in uncovering a few skilled ones, the names at least. In every case, those I have managed to discover have either already died or cannot be located now. So, I mean, these are people that, yes, are died, have died, have died under a pseudonym, mm-hmm. wandered around like Kettle, or went to a stone dragon. Yeah. Of course, they, they don't know that the stone dragons are a thing yet. But, right, right. But yeah, we know. <laughs> Us re-readers. <laughs> yeah, we know. Or maybe they have been killed. Or maybe they have been. What? What is more useful in the grand scheme than getting rid of the only line of defense that these people have? And knowledge that they have. (laughs) They talk a little bit more about why Verity is keeping this search quiet, Mm -hmm. basically. So, like, instead of just having a proclamation, anybody who is trained under skill master solicity, please step forward. We have need of you. Well, the real Slim Shady, please stand up. (laughs) And Verity's like, well, I'm not brilliant like your father, but what I do is see patterns. And the patterns show me that these people are turning up dead or are not to be found. So maybe I shouldn't (laughs) have these people step forward from the shadows. It might not be healthy for them. And it may not be healthy for them in the future, you know? Yeah. And I also noticed that every time that they mention these skill users... It's always a him or a his. Mm-hmm. And that could be, you know, neutral. These were written in the 90s and that was right. more they was accepted. Not, they wasn't allowed. Well, not not allowed, but they was not grammatically correct in the 90s. Fun right. fact, that's a very recent thing. Mm-hmm. Instead of using a like him like or a her. Like a singular they was yeah. not correct. Yeah, it was uh, grammatically incorrect. Yeah. I in college had a professor talk about how she has a hard time grading papers nowadays because it is it has been added to the official rules. It is correct to use a neutral they. Oh, but she's still but like, she's no, this still, is wrong. Yeah, it should be he or, or she. And so she finds herself, or she had found herself having a hard time. So just a fun little fact for everybody. They was not grammatically correct in the 90s or the early 2000s. So that's that's one of my points. Like, that could just be a grammar choice, or it could be... Having Verity and Fitz purposely assume that it's a a male skill user, so Mm -hmm. Kettle comes out of nowhere later. That's true, too. I like that idea. Just like a a, a story device. Yeah. A writing device. Yeah. So they sit in silence for a while, and Fitz brings up the second point that he had about the Elderlings. And Verity has also been researching a little bit about this, uh, which is, I mean... It's awesome to hear that, you know, things that the fool are pointing out, Verity has took time and mm-hmm. looked into, and he has gathered evidence about certain things, but... He also values the fool's input. Yeah. He yeah. can see beyond the motley. Mm-hmm. He says that's a different sort of riddle. At the time they were written about, all knew what they were. So I surmise. It would be the same if you went to find a scroll that explained exactly what a horse was. You would find many passing mentions of them and a few that related directly to shoeing one or to one stallion stallion's bloodline but who amongst us would see the need to devote the labor and time to writing out exactly what a horse is so 
elderlings were so well known and what they were back in the day that there was no need to say like, oh, this is what an elderling is. This is the relationship it has Mm -hmm. with this and what we do with them or whatever. It was just known. And so he has taken it upon himself, Verity has, to gather a bunch of scrolls about all these elderlings. And once in a while, he's sifting out details, but he doesn't know when he's going to have the time to do all this. Right. uh, Through all these scrolls and write notes and and take notes and find patterns in them. So he gives Fitz a key to the the lockbox in his room for all of these elderling scrolls and all the elderling knowledge that he has gathered. And has tasked Fitz with going through those scrolls, finding patterns, taking notes, and reporting to Verity. Yeah. And I think this is, uh, eventually, when he's going through these, he brings Ketrikin in on this. Mm-hmm. And I think Ketrikin brings him, like, leaps of knowledge from these scrolls. Right. And I think that's where her knowledge comes from. I'm still like, I, I guess, know. like a different thing every single time that we have these episodes. But we'll find out. Yeah, we'll start find taking out. bets on which one is more likely. I think it's this one. <laughs> I think it's this one. <laughs> I'm going to say that next week for a different theory. But, um, but it's interesting that there's, there's not a lot of knowledge about these at all. And it brings up another thought of a little more... Um, well, another tinfoil theory, I guess. But could the White Prophets at Claris have their agents be scrubbing libraries of knowledge of what the Otherlings are and what dragons are? Because the Six Duchies refer to these Elderlings, but we're, I'm pretty sure that they're speaking about dragons most of the time. Right. But the name Elderling has stuck around, but the relationship between the two has not obviously, and they don't even know or don't even think that dragons are an actual real thing. Right. Or were ever were a real thing. Right. Because dragons are mentioned in the same line as um, Pexies and others, right? When they're talking about the myths surrounding yeah. the skill pillars. But the Otherlings were also mentioned there, but said like there's kind of like a historical thing about the Otherlings. So has... Clarice been scrubbing mentions of the dragon specifically, so there's still talk of elderlings, and there's talk of descriptions about like what the dragons did, but they kind of got the two ideas kind of got put together over history. I don't know. What's interesting, and I don't know if this fits or dismantles your theory, but the people in Bingtown and further in, um, Rainwilds? Rainwilds. Call them elderling cities. Yeah. They also use the word elderling. They don't have a different term for the same set of peoples. Mm-hmm. It is just the elderling cities. So that's super interesting that. And they didn't seem to know like dragons or no. anything like that. They just knew them as a more advanced people. It's like the way we talk Although... about the Athenians. People from the, Athens. The Rainwilds. Oh man, now I'm trying to think back to the, the live ship traders. Do the people who created the live ships know that they were dragon carcasses? Yes. I think they did. They know. Yeah. Just the just the Cooper's inner circle, family. though. Yeah. They're the only ones who know. Um, but that's because the uh, dragon not, bodies. Not the only ones who knew. The other families who created 
live ships and traded them with. I thought it was just the Cooper's family that turned the logs into live ship or mm. turned the eggs into live ship logs and then sold them. Possibly, but I, I think there are other families that because the Cooper's are one of the richest ones, mm-hmm. but they're not the only family that has deals with other trader families in Bingtown. That's fair. And those those deals usually come around because they yeah they bought a live ship, ship right. or planks of wizard wood. But it could also be them buying the wizard wood for the family and then they're indebted to that family. True, true. I don't know. But I just, so like they know about dragons, like that at one point dragons were real. Mm-hmm. But I just think it's interesting that like everyone knows about elderlings. Yeah. Even if I, it's. Oh, now I'm really curious to see if they, the Cooper's family calls them elderlings. Like the, the wizard would. Oh yeah, I don't. Like this is like the, the cocoons of elderlings or something. Yeah. I don't think they do. I don't ever. think they do. I think but they I... know there's a distinction. Do and they I... say dragons? Well, hear me out. So, the Cooperus family are very susceptible to the skill because they have lots of family members get lost in the mines. Right. Where they yeah. touch they the hear pillars voices or and... drown in memories. Yes. Yeah. And so I wonder if that helps them know for sure, like, oh, these are elderlings mm. because they're human and they look like real people. They just are taller Maybe. and yeah. weird, look a little weird looking. Yeah. So they have like a better knowledge mm-hmm. because they're so close to, <laughs> to yeah. a skilled city. Um, yeah, I'm pretty sure some of the, the Rainwild folk know the difference between the two. Right. But that is a secret that they closely guard because they don't want people Others to know, to know. that this is, this is where Wizardwood comes from. Yeah. I don't know. But I just, I don't know. So I don't know if that hurts or helps what you're saying. Yeah, I have no because, idea. Because, it was just like, a... Elderling is known throughout mm-hmm. the lands. <laughs> it's just another crackpot theory that right. Claris that is the big bad string puller in the right. background. And I do love that theory because I'm all for the little intrigue sprinkled wherever it could be um but i wonder if elderling people are just so i don't know um not scarce but they seem to want to stay to themselves when they were alive like they had their own cities they went to war with other cities with dragons Mm -hmm. um but we also know that some people didn't like being around the skill pillars or the dragons. Yeah. I don't know. They were probably, I mean, other regular people were probably scared of them too. Yeah. <laughs> I dragons if, like terrorized other places and stole their cattle and, and things right. like that. So I wonder if the building of elderling cities is what ultimately came to the beginning of skill users, because it seems as though like with, the memory stones this is a huge tangent i'm so sorry but with the memory stones like when people who are skilled touch them Mm -hmm. they're drowned in memories they cannot choose what they're seeing or like how to get up they have to stop touching how would you live Uh, not not the skill pillars right not skill pillars sorry just the the stone like skill stones mm -hmm. that the cities are made out of so how would you live there even though they're the ones making them this way, how would they live there regularly if any time you bumped into a wall, you're thrown into two months ago, that big party where a dragon came down from the sky? 
it would be impossible to live like that. So you have to assume that they don't have that skill naturally to like they can choose and there's like a way to do it. And maybe it's just because the way of turning it off has been lost to time. But I just I don't know. There's so many more questions I have now. Well, it's uh, I mean, we know elderlings and elderling magic is different than skill users. Right. And skill users just seem more sensitive to certain things. So I feel like elderlings weren't as, you know, um, obstructed by seeing those those shadows and memories because right. they they mention in the light or the Rainwild Chronicles about how they see those those memories walking around in the, in the shadows of people and they just kind of get used to them. Right. And it doesn't overwhelm them like it does with Fitz. Yeah. And I guess if you grow up with it, I just wonder, like, is the elderling magic something that you're innately born with? At, or is that something gifted to you? So the Kufris, like Rain and Malta and all the other Rainwild people, were they born with some type of skill ability, even if it's small? That has morphed into their elderling magic? I think I think Malta was gifted it when she was chosen by Tintaglia. Um because I think and and same with the Rainwild Chronicle the Rainwild people. Right. They're not elderlings. Right. They have been born with mutations that mimic certain aspects because they were around dragons for so long. Right. But they are not elderlings, the same as if they were all in Kelsingra, the only elderlings were the ones that were chosen by the dragons mm. to be to be shaped. Mm. So I feel like the elderling magic was kind of exclusively for those that group of people. But so it was I... like gifted by the bond that the dragons kind of bestowed upon them. Right. Mm. But we, just, I mean, that is literally the magic that we know least about, and right. we don't know anything about well, Witten's skill. <laughs> right. Well, I just wonder, because dragons seem to talk through some sort of wit or skill. Right. It, or I both. mean, it seems to be that link between both mm-hmm. of them. And some people can't hear it at all, and so I wonder, mm-hmm. like, does that mean that the people who can hear them that are then given elderling magic is just, like, more skill? Or is it, right. like, a completely different thing? Is it because they're already born with that innate power like i don't know (sighs) i mean same thing for the skill like some people are just more open to it and some people you can't skill at all perseverance are blocked off to any effects of it so i don't know i don't know i don't know too many questions all right off of that tangent we're diving (laughs) back into the elderlings and what verity tasked fits with so he's going to look through that uh, give reports to Verity about what he finds in those scrolls. Yes. So, um, with that task, Fitz kind of is thinking about this, and he's like, look for patterns, Verity had suggested. I suddenly saw one, a web woven from me to the fool to Verity and back again. Like Verity's other patterns, it did not seem to be an accident. I wondered who had originated the pattern. I glanced at Verity, but his thoughts had gone afar. I rose quietly to go. I wonder who originated that pattern, hmm? Maybe <laughs> the one who, you know, told you to tell Verity to talk about, you know, mm-hmm. the otherlings. <laughs> mm-hmm. Interesting, though, that the way the fool talks about it to Fitz before this makes it seem as though Verity isn't taking it seriously. So either the fool doesn't know that he's taking it seriously 
or Fitz has to be the one to figure things out to put this on the right path. Yeah. And so it's like interesting just to think about the fool is so dismissive about Verity and his father and what they knew. And now Verity's like, oh, yeah, I've been taking it super seriously. I've been trying to look into it as discreetly as possible. <laughs> I mean, the fool's probably seen that in the future. Like, even if Verity and the king take it seriously without Fitz, nothing gets nothing changes. So because I mean, he's Fair. the catalyst. It all hinges on him. <laughs> and uh, as he rises to go, Verity asks him to go to the tower early the next morning. And that's where we end the chapter. Perhaps we may yet discover another skilled one, unsuspected in our midst. Which I think is just not really... Doesn't not ever happen. Unsuspected. Yeah. Well, that's the chapter. Yeah. We have uh, a final... Finally, a uh, coming together of Night Eyes and Fitz mm-hmm. in the first half. And a discussion with Verity in the second half about... Two of the main topics that have kind of been building up for a little bit. The skilled yeah. ones over the last, you know, few chapters, but the otherlings have been mentioned and mentioned and mentioned. And now we have a direction to go to research them. Right. So. Which I just want to say, it's so interesting to me that Robin Hobb wrote these series. At the end of this series, we don't know that the elderlings aren't the stone dragons oh yeah no that we just assume yep yep. that's what it is and then we find out the elderlings yeah (laughs) then we find out that's not at all the correct case but like she just wrote she really was out here writing a series that could have not been picked up for another yeah where we just that could have been the end of the trilogy and it would have made sense too because elderlings they they literally were sitting memories in stone like that mm-hmm. that's what it was right. and that could have been fine but it's so much but richer now that we know like, it's like whoa yeah i can't believe we could have potentially been cut off thank you for anyone in the 90s who bought this book to allow it to <laughs> big thanks to the publishers you know? yes so we could see more <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much for tuning in and listening all the way through for this week's episode. If you have anything to say to us, please shout at us at Facebook, Is Fitz Happy, Instagram, or Twitter. And you can also email us at isfitshappy at gmail.com. And don't forget to shout us out to your friends if they like these series as well. We will be happy to answer questions even going back on the old episodes. So. Yes. <laughs> Okay, so we're back. (laughs) Thank you for sticking around for 10 seconds. Um, (laughs) We're going to talk to you now about some of the stuff that other people have talked to us about. Um, Starting with... Starting with Joel on Facebook. Um, This kind of ties into the last... Sort of the last conversation we were having um, about this chapter. Is that the uh, the fool? Joel thinks that the fool doesn't influence things uh, more directly because he's similar to Cassandra. I don't fully understand the reference. Cassandra is like a prophet in one of the like an ancient story or something. Trojan priestess of Apollo in Greek mythology, cursed oh. to utter true prophecies but never to be believed. That's why he has to. That's why the fool has to nudge fits 
because no one would believe him. He's like cursed or that at least the fool operates similar to that character. Right. Which makes sense. But it also like he the fool does explain his motivations later on. I think in Tawny Man when he's so upset that like, I don't know how much to tell you Fitz and how much you're supposed to do on your own. Like, I can't like explain too much. Otherwise, this might not come true. That sort of conversation. I think the fool is kind of treading that line and he he doesn't know where that line is. Right. But also, I mean, even if you're not cursed like Cassandra is um, in mythology, uh, to have nobody believe you, even when you're telling the truth. The fool knows so much about things that don't even exist yet. How do you convince people like if you had to go back in time and talk to Steve Jobs about how to create an iPhone or like get him on the idea of making a touchscreen phone. Right. Like, how would you explain to him a thing when Nokia phones are the only thing he has for reference? Right. It, it would just be really hard to get people to understand and take you seriously, Mm -hmm. especially when you haven't even fully seen the real iPhone picture in your head. (laughs) You just have a blurry, like, odd description for it and you're like i don't know you're gonna make it (laughs) so definitely i don't know it's hard also the second part of this comment i thought was super interesting um speaking on the uh the six wise men went to jean pay town a little counting song Mm -hmm. joel says that also is the one wise man leaving queen and crown actually verity referring to the last verse of that song. And I think that's super interesting to think about, because I, I said that in my head it's wisdom, King Wisdom going. Yeah. But it does parallel super well with Verity's story as well, because he does leave his kingship, he leaves Ketrikin, mm-hmm. and he goes and he never comes down again. Yeah. And I don't necessarily know it... Well, I should say I don't necessarily think that Robin Hobb meant for that to be Verity, but meant it more like this is history kind of repeating itself. Mm, yeah. In that wisdom did it before, it was documented, and now it's happening the same way. It's just a nice little like parallel to them rather right. than this is a prophetic song. Interesting. And in my mind, that's at least how it is because the fool says in that conversation, it's in the old counting songs and stuff. And the fool doesn't necessarily treat it like a prophecy but more as like an informational piece of literature yeah right i don't know but it's an awesome parallel to point out i i didn't think of that before yeah how about you do you think that it's prophetic and it refers to verity or i don't know because there is a white prophet that resided in jampe town yeah that's true so it could have been a song that, or a riddle that came out and oh, they didn't pin, know yeah. when it would, you know, work out. I mean, mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah, it definitely could have been a prophecy, I guess. We, don't we may never know. We may never know. <laughs> That's an awesome parallel, though. Yes. Then, still speaking on this little moment of Fitz and the Fool last chapter talking about just when the fool is trying to get Fitz's attention and to remember <laughs> what he was saying by singing to him. I'm so sorry. I'm about to butcher your name. So Degenhart says that 
they think that the fool's little song to Fitz is actually about Fitz sleeping with somebody, but it isn't Kettle, it's Ketrickin. Yeah, the consummate, the consummate line. Uh-huh. And the future not yet fashion founded by your fiery passions is the air that fair that Verity fathers in Fitz's body. Which I forgot all about, but love <laughs> the idea that I was right. So thank you very much. <laughs> that is a great connection, and I and I um, I think that is referencing that moment as well. So it, it's awesome to be pointed out there. Yes, I so also good. think it's um, it's like consummate in all of your skill or something like that. So I think it's still also double meaning is oh consummate in your skill. Let me yeah. Try to try to pull it up here, but I think it like the double meaning is also to you know practice everything, but the hidden meaning is the one that like really comes true with that. What you just mentioned that um, Ketrickin's air. Summon your allies, locate the trained, consummate all from which you've refrained. Yeah, so I think it's like practice, practice your wit or whatever is foremost in Fitz's mind now. But mm-hmm. I think that him uh, consummating with Ketrickin, with Verity inside of him, is uh, yeah. like the actual meaning later. Right. I always forget that they do that. And I think it's mostly because Fitz tries so hard not to think about it. <laughs> <laughs> and so I'm just like, oh, yes, this doesn't matter. Until like last book when I was like, oh, poop, it looks like Ketrickin super new. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So that's a that's an awesome also awesome addition to that yes thank you for catching that Mm -hmm. i'm glad that we can both be right in this (laughs) (laughs) Um, and the last comment is from carrie uh talking about our discussion on how fitz got so angry in the hall outside of ketrickin's room with regal right there that he was about to snarl and pounce on regal before molly interrupted him and how we were discussing that it could have been, you know, some of his untrained wit coming through. And Carrie agrees with that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They bring up the time when oh, Jenna, the hedge witch. Yeah. Jenna. Jenna. Yeah. She tests Fitz. Mm-hmm. And then it talks, uh, they talk about how Fitz is a horrible example of old blood. But it does go to show that potentially passions run differently in witted people Mm -hmm. specifically carrie mentions that fitz never had the appropriate boundaries and doesn't have the awareness to manage them even before he ends up blending with the night eyes at the end of this book Mm -hmm. which is true he is he is emotionally stunted and doesn't have the awareness to keep those emotions in check especially if it's from an outside source influencing him right like if he has night eyes passions or or has that influence of the animal instincts coming through, mm-hmm. does not have the self-awareness to keep that in check. Right. He snarls a lot. Even before we meet Night Eyes, there's times when he, he his angry. upper lip pulls yeah. when he's angry. And I don't know, it's just really interesting. But that was a good catch I didn't even think about, Jenna's mm-hmm. test. So. Yeah, thanks so much for reaching out. All of those were great. Um. Also, real quick before we move on, um, Irene posted a comment um, for Chapter 9 of oh, two Royal episodes Assassin. Ago. Yeah. Yes. To let us know that we're being a little bit 
too unfair to Verity and also hyping chivalry <laughs> up a little too much. So I do want to take a moment to say that I I don't like thinking of chivalry as a perfect person. Um, I don't imagine that he would perfectly get through the red ship war either. Um, but I do think for the purposes of how we look through the lens of Fitz and Verity, um, that chivalry becomes kind of a more than man. Um, and it rubs off, I think, especially when I'm trying to like, when I'm personally reading, I get caught up in the, oh, chivalry would have been perfect. But personally, whenever I take a step back and I'm not like heavy reading for this, I am not a huge chivalry fan. I don't hate him or anything, and I do think he's probably a good leader in a lot of ways, but Irene does bring up the point that chivalry never had to rule in a war, or when things were tumultuous, he was only a peace king, um, or king-in-waiting, so it's a lot easier to say that he's a good king, Mm -hmm. because he didn't have to do anything hard. He did campaign, and it did say that he ruled, like... He campaigned and forged borders with the sword before he learned and did diplomacy. That's true. So, I mean, he and Verity both knew war a little bit, but not on this scale. Right. I don't know. So it is, it is, thank you for <laughs> for reminding us that chivalry probably wouldn't have been perfect either. Mm-hmm. Um, they point out that chivalry might have been a little bit better than Verity, sure, because he was raised to be king, mm-hmm. but it wouldn't have been that much of a difference. And that could be true if you assume that chivalry is by himself if he's in this situation and Verity right. is the one that has passed away. Oh, true, yeah. But chivalry would have a loving wife who he could rely on to vent to and discuss with, mm-hmm. and patience is intelligent, and... It's hard It's hard to say. But if chivalry was around, then Fitz would have been probably recognized. Maybe. As a son, so he would have been fully trained properly in the skill. I don't know. Because they wouldn't have let him not be trained. I don't think Shrewd would have let him be claimed. No, you don't think so? No. Not in a wartime? No. There's two other, Hell yeah. there's two other princes mm. in line. They don't need Fitz. Maybe. In the hypothetical of just Verity being replaced by Chivalry, I can definitely see that. Mm-hmm. But I think Chivalry's situation overall, if it naturally came about that he was king instead of Verity, Chivalry would have done much better. Right. And it's hard to know. I mean, we don't know how proactive Chivalry is without the permission of his father. Right. So maybe he would be just... It's not laziness, but it's kind of laziness when the king and king waiting refuse to acknowledge that there's people dying. Right. Yeah. Like, because they didn't want to be wrong, quote unquote, which (laughs) they were wrong either way. So, yeah, just choose one. So, we don't know if chivalry would have had the wherewithal to act. Um, I don't know, but we have been giving chivalry a lot of credit, and Mm -hmm. so it is nice to knock him down a peg every once in a while. (laughs) Um, (laughs) but Verity is also a lot stronger of a ruler than we have given him credit for. Um, it's just easier to see his faults whenever Ketrickin is, you know, outshining him. So, and all of the townsfolk don't like him. Yep, <laughs> we're just little sheeple. <laughs> <laughs> That's all we have this week. Uh, thank you guys for reaching out. We always look forward to hearing what you guys have to say, and can't wait to see what you see next time.